0: Hey, citizens, what's up? My name is Eugene, I'm the associate pastor at True North Church in Palo Alto, up in the Bay. Really excited to be with you here, kind of virtually, you know, kind of not the same time, but I'm really thankful to be able to preach the word to you on this Sunday. Um, Citizens, a church that I know well, there's a lot of our former members, or a lot of our members at True North are from Citizens, and also we have a couple that went back to Citizens, so shout out to Eddie and Michelle, if you are listening, hopefully. Uh, but first of all, if I want to thank Jason for having me. Jason, uh, your beloved lead pastor is a friend I always say with pastors like uh, you have pastor friends that they're just friends because they're pastors But Jason is a friend who happens to be a pastor uh, a friend who I, I really cherish deeply So I'm really thankful and I'm really uh, excited uh, that he is your lead pastor because I do think his vision um, his care, his empathy uh, will just shepherd your church so well And Jason texted me and said, hey, can you uh, preach a message on Advent? And I was thinking like, man, Advent and just waiting for the holidays, just 2020 this year has been off the charts, not normal. And for a lot of us, if you're like me, it's hard to be excited. You know, Advent is about this time of awaiting Christmas to be reminded of the beautiful birth of our Lord and Savior Christ. But for a lot of us, as we await that, there's a lot of things we're waiting for alongside that. We're waiting for life just to get back to a little bit of normalcy, right? We're waiting for to be able to eat at restaurants normally without the fear of, of catching a virus. We're waiting for the time where we can finally take off mass and live a little bit normally. If you're like me, uh, you're waiting for COVID to end, to lose COVID weight, or I'm going to blame COVID because uh, it is 2020. But given all that, one thing that as we're waiting in Advent that I think has hit me deeply, it might be hitting you, is the fact that this Christmas, um, with these holidays coming up, we might not even be able to celebrate with our families, with our friends, and even our church. You know, Hebrews 10 commands us to meet together constantly to to kind of remind us of who we are in Christ and and to especially be reminded on Christmas. But, you know, due to everything going on, there's a fact of it, although we're doing it virtually, a part of our community is missing. And as we're awaiting Christmas in this year of 2020, I think it's dawned on a lot of us that community is so important for our lives. And it's not something that we just know ourselves, but something that Scripture tells us is true. That not only is community, human community, your friends, your family, those are all important, but your church community, your citizen's family, your your small group or community group, which I think you guys call it, is one of the most important things of your life. And what we want to look at today, what I want to hopefully show us is in, in the book of Ephesians, how Paul describes what community is and also how that contrasts how we live out community today. So today's text is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. I believe it's also up on the screen, but this is what Paul writes in Ephesians. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, uh, I didn't choose this passage because your name is citizens. I just realized that right now as I'm reading it, but I'm not trying to be cheesy. But um, I think community is really important, and I know it's important because of my role as a pastor. Uh, you know, for me, as I'm uh, one of my main jobs on a Sunday, or used to be uh, physically, is to greet those who are new to kind of get to know them, to figure out why they're at True North, what brought them here. And usually, and this is more for churchgoers, for Christians who, for, who kind of grew up in the church, I'd ask them, hey, um, what are you looking for at True North? Well, what kind of brought you here? And the most common answer I get, whether I'm at True North or at different churches that I've served, is, oh, I'm, I'm looking for community. I'm looking to find community, right? And if we're honest, including myself, we've said that a multitude of times in different areas. But as a pastor now, I'm serving up here and in other churches for a while, I kind of cringe when I hear that statement these days. And it's, it's not because the desire for community is wrong. It's not that we shouldn't look, or sorry, we shouldn't want to have community. But in that phrase, that I'm looking to find community. I'm looking for community. What it assumes is that we can find community like we're stumbling upon a hidden treasure in the sand. That it's something that we can discover for ourselves. That somehow as we open that box of community, as we magically have developed, uh, you know, fell into a lap of a perfect church, that it's gonna somehow envelop this beautiful community upon ourselves. See, the, the problem with that thinking and that line of thought is that community is never found. Community is only built. Community is never found, it's only built. And I get that from Paul when he says in the last verse of what you just read, he reminds the church in Ephesus, you're also being built together. You're not finding each other. You are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we're called to build community, not to look for it. But how do we do that? Two, two really simple points today. I think I want to kind of break down first how we look for community in the Western world. And secondly, how the Bible calls us to build community. But first, why we look for community? Why is that phrase so common these days? Well, to kind of give a brief history lesson on the idea of community itself, biblically. Think about this: historically, and especially in Ephesus, which Paul is writing this letter to, community was kind of it was tied to your geographical location, right? Um, you know, up until maybe fifty years ago, your community were your neighbors, your schoolmates, your coworkers. And that was kind of it. And a lot of that was due to, well, you were just kind of bound to your physical location. right? Especially in Ephesus, like the only church in Ephesus was a church in Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians, right? He, Paul's writing to the only church at that time in that city. And, you know, back then, you, you couldn't really travel, you know, a couple miles down the road to be like, you know what, I'm going to find a better community. You know, you were kind of stuck with the community that ultimately God gave you. But what has happened today in the last you know 50, maybe more 20 years is the digital age has completely shattered that notion of community. That community is no longer bound to your physical location, it's what you make of it. It's where you can find it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. You know, whatever new app is out, it can be something that you can discover. And don't get me wrong, are, there are really good benefits to that. You know, even for me, being, being, being able to connect to old friends that without Facebook, um, without social media, without even MySpace back in the day, I wouldn't be able to do. But I also kind of want to take a deeper look at what it's done negatively to us. You see, all these new apps, this, this digital reality um, that we're living in, what happens is that we're now able to create a community wherever you are and however you like it. You're able to create a community in, in the confines of your bed. You're able to do it by the preferences of what you like, of the sports you like, of the teams you like, of the things that you don't like, of your political preference, of your worship preference, whatever it may be. Think about how many groups on Facebook are, you know, if anyone still uses Facebook, maybe that dates me a little bit, but think about back then, how many groups of Facebook, Facebook groups were out there. You know, there are certain ones for movies, there are certain ones for fan clubs, And essentially, for a lot of people, you could form a community virtually due to your own preference. And I believe what has happened is we have allowed our tools of social media to shape and redefine what community is. Community is no longer the people that God has placed you with. It is the people that you can find that match your preference. Um, There's a great quote by Marshall McLennan, who was kind of a a digital prophet, um, not Christian. He wrote, We become what we behold. We shape our tools. And thereafter, our tools shape us. The digital age that we live in now, the age of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever is your choice, has now defined community on its own terms. And the best way that I can describe this is one of my favorite restaurants, Chipotle. Um, Chipotle is a great microcosm of not just what happens with our eating um, habits, um, but also life. Um, and Chipotle, I always joke with people, is some place you go to to act like you're healthy, but when you really figure out what you're eating, it's not that healthy, right? Because we think like, well, first of all, it's owned by McDonald's, so that's warning sign already. But you know, when you go to Chipotle, it's fresh ingredients, you see it being made, so you feel a little bit better about yourself. But the problem is, for most of us, including very much myself, Is that Chipotle? The chef doesn't decide what you eat. You decide what you eat, right? It it does have healthy options. It does have brown rice. Like who gets brown rice? Or I don't know. LA might be a little bit different, but I never get brown rice, right? Um, It has your preference of I only want white rice, no beans, extra guac, a little bit of lettuce to make myself feel healthy, extra sour cream, extra cheese, and all those things that make it unhealthy, right? And, And more than health or any of that, what Chipotle ultimately tells you is. You can create your own meal. You can create your own type of food. And that was, if you think about it, kind of revolutionary. Because back, rewind a couple of years back, 50 years back, whenever you went to a restaurant, you kind of ate whatever was on the menu. So you can maybe change a couple of things, but it's pretty fixed. But Chipotle and a lot of these new restaurants kind of brought in a new phenomenon where it's you choose what you want. You can create your meal down to your specific healthy or unhealthy preferences. And look, I, I think that's fine to do all we eat, but I've seen that type of thinking, that type of consumer mentality bleed not just from our appetites and our Amazon carts, but into our social realities. That because of tools like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, because of this idea that we can choose our own food and also we can choose our own community, you begin to choose your own group that you live in according to your preference. You create. Ultimately your own echo chamber, you know, how I know this is to be so true is, you know, if you're on uh, Instagram or Facebook you can block certain people or you can befriend them but block them so they know that you know We're cool But if they post something that you don't like politically if they're annoying to you if they're not funny to you You can create your own social feed that you scroll through every day with people that you just like to see the people that comment back to you whatever it may be and I think that leads to a dangerous ultimatum. You see, I think the consequences of that type of mindset for our community are both societal and also church, uh, on the level of church. You know, I think much of twenty twenty, um, the politics, uh, the the racial tensions, um, just a lot of societal problems going on. Is a lot of it has to do with this type of problem that we in America have chosen to create our own communities. In our own reality so meaning if you don't follow my political preference if you are a republican or a democrat if you are for this cause or not against this cause that will determine whether you are part of my virtual and therefore actual reality of life right if, if you um aren't republican and you are red leading then you're not going to follow them on twitter you're not going to follow them on facebook you're not going to befriend them you can also almost ghost them and not even ex- allow them to exist in your life And what's happened is, on a societal level, we've become so ingrained that we can create our own communities that we've created, ultimately, two, three, four Americas, whatever it may be. We've created our own pockets geographically, right? You know, naturally on the coastlines, it's more blue-leaning. Naturally, in the Midwest, it's more red-leaning. And I saw this in 2016 when, including myself, for a lot of us living on the coast, we were shocked that Donald Trump won the presidency. Because it's, to us, it's like, how could someone like that, quote unquote, be elected? And the simple fact was, well, he was. And, and what that reminded me of and what that showed me of was that, oh man, I have not been listening to people that don't share, quote unquote, my political views or geographically uh, the views of my area. And it doesn't just affect us on a societal level, but when we go down to the church level, the problems, I think, get even more severe. Right, the fact that the term church hopping is even in our vocabulary is probably a big problem. Like, imagine trying to explain church hopping to Apostle Paul or Jesus. Like, oh hey Jesus, I know you died for me on the cross, but you know, I'm gonna f- take my time to find the right type of people that you have died for. Or imagine telling Paul who, who implores the church in Ephesus, no matter what happens, remind yourself you're united in Christ. And you're telling Paul, yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, we're you know, brothers and sisters, but Hey, this guy kind of is, is pro-Trump, or, or hey, this guy is a little too social justice so I'm going to find a different community for myself. You see, we've entered into what David Brooks, a commentator in the New York Times, calls the golden age of bailing. Anytime in a, in a community, and especially in our church community, if something doesn't match our preference, we bail immediately because it's so easy to do because there are so many churches around, because there are so many options, especially in COVID-19 around. As sad as it is, our church attendance now is just a click of a button, and if your church maybe says something a little too right or too left, something that you don't agree with or something that you just aren't cool with, or a pastor that you don't like, it's so easy to click another church, and voila, you're church hopping. You see, for a lot of us, this type of consumer mindset, this Chipotle mindset, has infiltrated the church. And even for those maybe within the church, where you're like, hey, for me, I'm, I'm cool as citizens. I'm, I'm fine here. But if you're like me and a lot of church members I know, we still do that type of thinking within our own family of the church. We try and vie to get into community group with a certain leader that we like. We try and keep our distance from friend groups that maybe we have drama with, maybe your friends have drama with, where you just don't get along with. Now, I don't know, you know, citizens right now, you're blessed to have an amazing lead pastor and, and only him for now. But if you've been at a church with multiple pastors, I've seen people trying to get one pastor in, on their side. Oh, he's my pastor. He's my type of guy. I'm in his bubble. You see, we've allowed our consumer mindset and our consumer appetites to bleed into the church. And so we look for community and we never try and build community. But scripture offers us and implores us in a different direction. See, what, what Paul commands us in Ephesians is to be reminded, the church is not something that you find according to your preference. It's something you're called to build with, with the people that God has given you. You know, many uh, much of the community division in the epistles, and even in Ephesians, was between Gentile and Jew. Right? Ultimately, between this idea of circum... not the idea, but the reality circumcision and not circumcision or uncircumcision and you know for a lot of gentiles when they heard like man you gotta circumcise yourself as a male to be part of this church they probably were like "Mm, i don't think jesus is for me i don't really blame them right but paul's idea to push back on this was not just because of the idea uh, of circumcision and how it was uh, painful for gentiles but more so what it represented You see for this division between gentile and jew in chapter 2 he talks about this too that's the idea that look in in ephesus you guys are dealing with this too that these gentiles and jews that you're trying to sub subgroup yourself in your own church and he reminds them look our church our body if we're truly bought by the blood and body of christ it should not be divided by circumcisions and for us today maybe it's not circumcisions or definitely not circumcisions but political preference, to worship preference, preaching preference, age preference. In our mind, we have so many types of circumcision-like divisions that we bring into the church. Oh, does this church fit my age group? Does this church or community group fit my vibe? Oh man, does this pastor kind of preach to my type of soul? And, and I want to caveat this. Don't get me wrong. I do think there are reasons to leave a church. I do think if the church is preaching heresy or it's it's abusive or there's trauma, of course, that's not a place where you're called to stay. But I do think generally, very generally, for a lot of us, we're quick to run and not fighting to stay and build. You see, Paul notes that the differences uh, in, in this you know, Gentile-Jew division, it, he's not asking for this false uniformity. He's not saying, hey, just, just brush aside your differences and just stick together and just sing kumbaya and everything will be okay. You know, when, when you kind of reread what he is saying, he talks about the church is a body built of different members and an arm and a hand is different from an eye and an ear. And what he's doing is that he is kind of alluding to that, look, Christian unity is not an ignorance of our differences, but it is a fighting for a diverse unity. You See, community in Paul's eyes is not built on preference, but is rather to be called to bond amid our differences. Christian unity is not to ignore differences, but to bond amid our differences because it reminds us that Christ has died for all of us, for those that are like us, and also for those who are not. And because of that, we're called to build a beautiful community. We're not called to find one, but to build one, even and especially with those people that are different from us. So practically, how do we do that? Three simple points I kind of want to remind you guys, as citizens. Uh, first is this: don't be an architect. Um, I I think in in a you know especially in Southern Californian kind of Asian American Christian churches, there there are a lot of options, and because of that, it's really easy to daydream to to kind of find and build in your mind your own perfect church, your own perfect pastor, your own perfect community group, your own perfect type of outreach. And I think many of us choose to be architects and build blueprints rather than to build and embrace the people that God has placed right in front of you. Right? Paul describes in Ephesians this active kind of moving project. It's these joints being assembled Together, there's there's action being involved. It's not this idea of thinking. Oh, well, let me think of a perfect body. No, build it with the members that you have now. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor in the Nazi regime, who ultimately lost his life in that fighting against the regime. Who who knows a thing or two about building community in adverse times. He writes this: Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. If you dream too much, if you become an architect more than a builder in God's church, what happens is your dreams take preference over the realities of what God has given you. And because this person doesn't match your dream, you reject them. And what we need to get into our Western minds is that God's idea of a church is far better than our own dreams, blueprints, and goals. So one, look, don't be an architect, be a builder. Second, remind yourself building a church requires friction and not comfort. Remind yourself that building a church requires friction and not comfort. You see, for us, a a consumer approach to a church or to community will often lead us to the easiest route because that's what a consumer is. You consume something, you consume Amazon because it gives you prime two-day delivery. And because of that, as long as they have that preference for you, you'll stay within that community. But you know, imagine if Amazon Prime took away their two-day delivery. Would you still pay whatever it is? Obviously not, because Amazon isn't that strong of a community, it's, it's more of a consumer club. And what we need to realize is we need to shed that type of idea when we enter into the church. Because what happens when we act like consumers is we always choose the easiest way out in community, which is always to bail. Whenever there is a sign of friction, whenever there is a sign of hurt, whenever there is a sign of a broken relationship, more often than not, and it saddens me as a pastor, as Christians, we bail. And what we need to remind ourselves is, look, think about just, you know, forgetting even biblical ideas. Just think about a simple idea of building a building. The only way that building can be built is through effort, sweat, tears, maybe even blood, through friction through bumping heads, through putting in sweat and sacrifice. That's the only way you can build something worthy to be built. And what Paul, I think, says in in this passage is to remind us, look, it's the same with the church. It's a beautiful project. It's the beautiful pride of Christ, and it's worthy to be poured into. But remember, anything worthy of being built will require damage, sacrifice, and ultimately letting go of our comforts. You know, it's interesting to me that the New Testament epistles, they're not filled with things that you should look for in a church, but they're filled with imperatives to forgive, to care, to bear with one another, to love one another. It's reminding you that to build a church, you need to go to the hurt. And let me get very frank with, you know, citizens or or anyone else listening. um, Don't avoid Friction and conflict, especially in the church, right? Like, you know how common it is for at True North or any church I pastor for uh, a relationship to break up, a dating relationship. And I know in the back of my head, one party or maybe two will ultimately leave because that that damage, that friction being applied is just too much for them to bear. But when that happens whether it be a breakup an offense a critique you know a a, a bumping the head because that will always happen in family and ultimately in the church when we choose to bail what we what we lose is the opportunity to practice the gospel the very thing that we worship and believe that christ has come to forgive us of all of our past present and future sins and because of that we're called to love our neighbor our brother our sister in the same way allow yourself to fight through the friction, to fight the temptation to look for comfort, and to build through sweat, tears, and effort in our churches. Lastly, as a reminder, is this. Build on the foundation of Christ. What I mean by that is this. look, Many of us um, at our churches, when we look for a church, especially uh, in a place like Southern California, or probably anywhere in America, what I think a lot of us, including myself at times, believe is, is that community that group of people at the church will fulfill me. That that's what will give me salvation. And and let me add this to those that may be skeptical of the faith. That um, maybe not are not yet crossed the line to fully put their faith in Christ. You might be listening to this and be like, wait a second, like this is not a place I want to be at, right? It's asking a lot of me. I'm just kind of here seeking things out. But let me remind you, if you are listening um, and you are still doubting or are skeptic the reason why we as a church call you to to come into our walls to be a part of a community is not because we think we can save you like our, our food our croissants or what used to be after church service will not save you the music will not save you basketball ministry or, or turkey bowl or football will not save you we do all of those things hopefully to remind you and to show you that as a community the one thing that saves you and me is not each other but the one who lays on the cross the one who we build this church on, the foundation of this building, Christ. You see, our community in our church is a reminder that it's not the community that saves us. The reason why we sing these songs in Sunday is not just to sing to God, but also to remind ourselves in singing that the one who saves us is the one above. That is why we're placed to build this community. And again, if, if you don't, believe yet or maybe even if you do as a reminder the gospel is also a story of not just community but community lost christ was in a perfect loving um, empathetic just everything you want in a community in the trinity father son and spirit and what christ chose to do on the cross as the father forsake his son on that moment to, to give us redemption for our sin in his blood is that Christ left a community, a perfect community to build a broken community with broken people, with people like you and me who who have our preferences, who have our grudges and bring that to churches. That's what Christ did for us. How can we not then not look for a community but build one under his name? So citizens, look, I know it's very easy to, to look for a community, whether it be a church, whether it even be inside the church but I hope you're reminded with this passage and with the truth of the gospel that we're called not to look but to build because of what Christ has done on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, um, I'm so thankful for this church I'm in Los Angeles. I'm thankful for Pastor Jason leading it. I'm thankful for all the members that are watching right now virtually, even though it may be not a preference, maybe it's a sacrifice. And as we do this and as we're in Advent, waiting for your son's birth to be remembered of your son's birth. Allow us to be reminded that your son came to this earth not to allow us to find a place for us, but to remind us that we have a place of community in him. And because of that, we're called to build a community with broken people around us. We thank you for that beautiful truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen.